I'm super stoked to introduce you to this evening's speaker, Chris Krug. During this presentation, Chris is going to bring his explorations and understanding of artificial intelligence, or AI, and its implications for creative marketing within the architecture, engineering, and construction industries. Known for his ability to articulate complex technological concepts with clarity and accessibility, Chris will inspire and equip professionals with the knowledge and tools needed to navigate and leverage the AI landscape effectively in organizations. Chris is a creative technologist and professional photographer, originally from California, now based on Hornby Island. By the way, his dog's name is Princess Ice Cream. That's right. That right. That's right. I just thought I'd throw that out there, which is fantastic. Chris has celebrated first collaborations with prominent entrepreneurs, athletes, and tech innovators around the globe, and has worked as a contrib contributing photographer for and his website has an intimidating list, but I'm just going to give you a snapshot. These include National Geographic, Barrett, BC News, Business in Vancouver, Chicago Tribune, CNET, Daily Times. You can stop. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Yeah. I'm proceeding alphabetically, except for the National Geographic. I noticed, yeah. I noticed. Huffington Post, Japan Times, LA Times, Motley Fool, New Yorker, Port. Rolling Stone, Slate, TechCrunch, Ted. The Atlantic, Time Magazine, Toronto Star, USA Today, Village Voice, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, and Wired. And that is like a fraction. Uh, yeah. I was intimidated just sitting there reading that. It was amazing. His pioneering vision combines artistic flair with an acute understanding of technology, making his perspective unique and highly relevant in the ever-evolving technology landscape. Chris is deeply embedded in the world of technology, particularly the exciting realm of artificial intelligence. His active involvement in technology conferences combined with his consulting and teaching roles on internet technologies, online communities, and digital media demonstrates his comprehensive expertise in the field. Chris's work is with transformative organizations such as the United Nations and TikTok, underlines his commitment to employing technology for societal advancement. If you'd like to learn more about Chris, his website is chriscrug.co. And you can also connect with and follow him on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe and click that notification. All right. <laughs> You're hired. Anyway, yeah. you know, Thank you. Yeah. Excited to introduce Chris. Great. Cool. Thank you. There's nothing more awkward than when someone reads your formal bio. They're fucking when you're sitting there. It's so excruciating. <laughs> Thanks for having me here tonight. This is one of my favorite things to do, is to just share stuff that I'm passionate about with other people. And so I don't know anybody in the room that I recognize, and I've never been in this building. I don't think any of you know me, and so I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm really excited. And I'm an artist, and I come from a little bit outside the business world, though a lot of my clients are corporate clients. And so I'm just going to do something here at the beginning that I know isn't exactly what happens in corporate business meetings and stuff, but I'm just going to, I got this from yoga class. I'm just going to set an intention here, and hopefully we can all tune into that a little bit. And so I intend to share with you guys stuff that I'm like very passionate and interested in. I've been experimenting with this stuff for a while, and it's changed my life. It's changed my perspective. It's changed the businesses that I'm involved with and the projects I'm involved with. And it has made me a enhanced human being. And I hope to share some of that stuff with you. I hope to address concerns you may have or fears or questions or obstacles you have such that you feel empowered after this talk to just roll up your sleeves and mess around with this stuff and figure out how 
it might benefit you or your organizations or your teams or your projects. That is what we're going to do here today. How's that sound? Very good. Cool. Another one of the ideas here. So I brought my laptop, but not a dongle. And I have all sorts of fun things to show you that we're going to do together. But I also had like three hours worth of content. And for we only have about 45 minutes. So I'm not going to do that. But what I do hope to do is to turn this a little bit into a facilitated group discussion at points. So there is a question and answer at the end. We'll leave time for that. But my thinking here is like, AI is on the news all the time. We can't go to a meeting without talking about it. We're talking about it with our parents and with our kids, and we're evaluating all these different ways, what it means for the future of mankind, what it means for us as a society, what it means in our jobs. And so you all are part of that conversation as much as I am. And so I am interested in tapping into a little bit of the collective knowledge and experience in the room. And to that point, I know that some of you people are already using AI in your jobs today. I have met with marketing assistant, tell me your name again, who was telling me a little bit about her job and that you use AI to do proposal writing, which in most organizations I'm involved with proposal writing in the way that you were talking about. It doesn't fall into the marketing function. It's more like a sales or business development function. But so I found it interesting to hear how you were using it to write proposals and stuff. And can I say what you told me? Yeah, you said that at first there was some skepticism around you using it, that you'd be cheating or that it wouldn't be the maybe the quite right voice or get the nuance of what you were trying to say. But in fact, paradoxically, it has elevated the writing of the company in general. And you talked about using old pieces of content and new contextual information from a particular proposal and having GPT rewrite something that's already been approved and is accurate for a particular. And the neat thing about GPT is you can tell it what voice to use, and I use a lot of nudging when it comes to GPT. And we'll dive into this in a minute. It's hard to get it to do exactly what you want it to do sometimes, but you can nudge it in the right direction. So I often find myself jotting down some ideas, running it into GPT, getting something back so I don't have a blank page, and then starting to coax it, having it rewrite it in different ways, less formal. I often use the word unmarketing in my stuff because it has a certain way of trying to embellish the things that it writes. In it's got a few quirks. It likes to make lists these this, that, and this other thing, this, that, and this other thing. And so when I read those things, I can clearly see that it's AI. And so with a little bit of like understanding and nudging, I often only find myself rewriting what comes out of it. I just find myself coaxing stuff into it. And I do a little bit of training too, and we can talk about what that means, or and maybe some of you are doing that. I would like to introduce myself. I am 45 years old. I grew up in California. I moved here to Canada to go to university, and I moved here in 1995. And that was the year that the graphical web browser took off. And so my first, I, got, I went to Trinity Western University in Langley, this tiny little Christian college, and all right. I knew there'd be someone there. I didn't go there, but I moved <laughs> It's a corpy school. But I got assigned to English as a second language dorm because I signed up late. And so on my first day of school, I like wandered in, and I was like, yo, what's up, guys? And they were sitting there like eating dry fish and playing go and they were like personal homepage and i was like what and they're like next team navigator personal homepage and so like within the first couple weeks of school i've been starting to build my first web pages and it was 95 and so the professors didn't have web pages and the departments didn't have web pages even the school didn't have a web page and so i'm like 19 years old i'm proficient in internet technology i'm building web pages for all the organization essentially and then i'm starting to do like the record study 
high level communication classes because the stuff I want to learn isn't in books it's emerging right now. And I knew as much about it as anyone in the school. And so they let me go down the road of teaching it to myself and then build a syllabus out of it and come back and teach my peers the next semester a class that I had self-directed study. And so I ended up starting a little interactive agency called Primal Communications and it got bought by an advertising agency in town called Palmer Jarvis in 1998. And that was kind of like my first little win on the internet. And after that, I moved down to Silicon Valley to work for a startup and got to do the kind of like inside the valley thing, which was amazing for me. I was just a web guy before that. And I learned like Marcom, PR and trade shows and just all the other components that, that, that go into marketing. And I worked down there in the valley for a while. And that company worked out too as a little networking startup that sold to Cisco. And I was just like the 12th employee or whatever. Like you can imagine it was a good ride. I was in California working at the highest levels and just getting a master class in the state of the art of marketing. I moved back to Vancouver and I started my own little web development firm called Bright. And we ran Bright for a few years and it got acquired by Rain City Studios here in Vancouver. And they went on to run that for a while and I became the president of Rain City Studios. So this was at the, so I hit the one, web 1.0 revolution by building websites back in the day. And then I started this publishing company right in 2004, right before freaking YouTube was invented, Flickr here in town, all these tools. And I was just like sitting there as this growth curve happened. And so I was able to capitalize on that and be a big part of the whole Web 2.0 movement, going around the world, teaching people about specifically artists and creatives and marketers, how they can use blogs and social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube to find their voice, build an audience, and essentially put themselves out there independently to grow their own channels and their own voice. And this is at a time where a lot of photographers and artists were like, I don't want to put my work on the internet. People will steal it. Remember that? Or, or I don't want to publish personal information about myself. I might lose my identity. And now look at us, right? Now we are very willy nilly about how we share our information and identities of many of us could be pieced together from the, the information that we share online. So anyway, I got to go through that web 2.0 revolution. And I was a photographer kind of at the time. That's how I identified. I had left the marketing stuff behind a little bit and focused on photos, the first art that I was ever really good at. I was tinkered with creativity and art, but I never really found something that stick and I found photography. And so here I was like learning photography as like Flickr was invented in YouTube and these blogging tools. And my growth as a photographer paralleled the growth of the internet and the explosion of social media. And it opened up so many doors for me. I got to go around the world for a decade as a photographer for the TED Talks. I got a photograph for Rafa Ball and Bill Clinton. All these things I was editing on the same day, sharing via Flickr under a Creative Commons license that allowed anyone to use it without asking me as long as they credited me and linked back to the original work. It also protected my commercial rights, so that was only for nonprofit users. So I, what I'm trying to get at here is I've always used these emerging technologies from the beginning to like buttress the stuff that I'm already doing. And it's given me a huge advantage over my peers. And I've been able to like leapfrog all the people around me in lots of ways by enhancing myself through these tools. When the pandemic rolled around, my photography career settled down almost into nothing. I had a farm over on Galliano for a while and it was great. It was just what I needed after a decade of hotels and planes and talks and whatever and stuff. And so it was great. And I got involved in a lot of my own projects, doing a lot of different things. I started a makerspace over on Hornby Island, which is a membership-driven creative laboratory where people can come do electronics work, woodwork, 
car repair, all sorts of different things. And, uh, and I got into a bunch of these things. And that's what had me situated. I started a podcast. My day job is I work for a think tank down in Seattle right now called The Future in Review. And we publish a bi-weekly podcast where our leaders essentially talk about their ideas online. They had been doing a really old publishing model and they allowed me to come in and change things around because they felt like they were falling behind. And the podcast has totally usurped it. We had 5,000 people on our email list that we were sending his thoughts and updates to. And we're published to tens of thousands of people now via Spotify and YouTube and Apple Podcasts and stuff like that. So it's been, and that's what had me sitting at the digital trough when AI came around. I was publishing this podcast. I was looking for ways to do creative thumbnails. I was looking for ways to transcribe these podcasts and make show notes and summaries and stuff like that. And so I started tinkering around with some of these AI tools just to do the, those functions. The reason why we're hearing all about this now is because in the last six months, the quality and accessibility of these tools has changed a lot. A lot of this artificial intelligence stuff that, that we're hearing about and using now, these things have existed for huge companies and governments and other people, telcos, banks, stuff like that for a long time. Not necessarily the generative AI stuff, but a lot of the underlying technology that existed, but it's become a democratization of it, putting it in our hands that is really the revolution right now. Super easy to use, super accessible and very powerful. And so I started rolling up my sleeves and tinkering around. And at first it was image generation. A lot of the tools that are... Okay, before I go on, I wanted to ask a little bit about like where everyone's at with stuff. So are you guys using AI in your social media stuff here? A bit of proposal work. Are you using AI at all personally? No, no, no. Have you? Do you have a ChatGPT account? No. Does anyone? Is anyone? Is anyone else in here using AI? How are you using it? I use it for drafting. When I go into clients and we talk about strategic marketing plans, yeah. So you've got a bunch of content that's already been generated and you are, and what are you trying to do to it? So we're providing clients with strategic marketing plans around their marketing profiles, around the media, what they're using, but it's a nice way to just grab ideas and then we tailor that. So you're using it not just for writing, but for idea generation. You're, you're like come up with three marketing strategies that increase my email subscriber list by 30% over the next six months. Cool. Who else is using it in oh, maybe a way that we haven't covered yet, either writing or idea generation? Yeah. I guess it's essentially my new Google. Okay, so you're just doing it for all your research. Anything, something comes to mind, you're like, give me a couple queries you've written. Cool, so you're, you're doing research on construction firms in Vancouver, and what did you ask him? Cool, and then what did you do with the results? I typed it on Google to see what other relevant links existed regarding that particular topic. And yeah. it was a bit Have you found yourself back and forth with it much? Yes. Can you tell me a little about that? So, so you asked it about the best construction results and it gave you some answers, and then what? It just gave me trends, and that was at least a good starting point for me because I didn't know where to start. But talk to me about what were you back and forth with it a little bit. Okay, thanks for telling me these trends of these three, which ones map to the, the offerings that we're already have at our company. Or have you ever like, oh, when that. you're receiving the results back, then do you continue to work back and forth with it to? Okay, no, not that, that degree though. 
Okay, so we got research and we got proposal writing and we got some idea generation. How is there any other ways that people are using it here? Yeah. Images. Please. Mm -hmm. It's very pixelated if you try to enter specifications, but I think it's called like mind journey. Mid journey, Mid -journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so that's one, but I think you have to like go through Discord. Discord. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let me just bring everyone onto the same page here. So ChatGPT is like text to text. You type in some stuff, give some text back. In this very same way, and it can return any kind of text. So we just talked about research and writing and some ideas, but it can return. I had it build an outline for this talk, and then I had to turn that outline into slides, and then I had it flesh out each slide with anecdotes stats and so it, it can return code it can write code snippets a lot of times i have it write little pieces of html to update web pages i'm doing and stuff and so remember its output isn't just prose it can be poetry or lists or to do that it is remarkably flexible in its output and then there's a whole other category that's important and that's these text to image ones and so and, and mid journey is the one that i use as well it is not run by OpenAI, the people that run ChatGPT, but another company, the one that's run by OpenAI is called DALI, D-A-L-E, and DALI has a Bing integration. So Bing has done deals, Microsoft's Bing has done deals with ChatGPT. And so they've really all of a sudden launched a Google competitor because Bing has this crazy new dashboard that provides free access to GPT-4, something the rest of us have to pay for, and free access to DALI, 30 image generations a day or something like that through this dashboard. It's really pretty cool. It's actually probably the low-hanging fruit for all y'all. If you left this talk and you're like, oh, that guy was onto something, I accept his encouragement to be the person in my company who teaches other people about this, and I am going to learn about it myself, go to Bing. Create an account, it's free. All of a sudden you have GPT-4 at your fingertips and Dolly and run a few permutations of just like, literally, I write down clever things that people say to me or insightful things all day long. And sometimes when I'm at home at night to do pressing, I run it through. Just take these expressions or quotes that I've heard through the day and run it through and let it visualize stuff for me. And it's remarkable. It's an ideation process almost. It's taking these ethereal kind of thoughts that floated through my mind and putting some concrete stuff behind them and then being a lot to be able to look at them and make decisions about which things I want to pour my energy behind and stuff. So these text to image ones are incredible. They, even a month ago, so six months ago, I showed some photographer friends these tools and they were like, this is amazing. In 10 years, I don't see how photographers are even going to be around anymore. And they hit me up like a month ago and they were like, the stuff that I told you was going to be, I would accept if it was available in 10 years, it's been five months and it's already surpassed that. In the last month that I've been messing with it, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but in these image generations, hands and faces look really messed up. Have you guys seen this? For some reason, when it's scanning the worldwide database of human bodies, it can't really always create. So a lot of them get six-fingered hands or three-armed people. A lot of the people that were coming out and stuff were really grotesque at first, but my stuff's in unmistakable from fashion quality photography. You cannot tell the difference. You, it's hard to believe for me sometimes that the humans that are put back in my face don't exist. The quality of it's extremely high right now. There's infinite variation. And we can talk more about some of the specifics of it here as well. So we got images, we got writing, we got research, and we got idea generation. Is anyone else using AI in a different way that they haven't covered yet? 
you know, else have any other experiences with AI they want to talk about at this point? How about the flip side of that? How about like concerns or objections or fears or things you've come across? Yeah. Something that comes to mind for me is like thesis writing in university. ChatGPT could be a tool for that, which you may not necessarily be the greatest thing. Every, so yeah, you're right. And like the last couple web revolutions, this is going to touch every single thing. It's going to touch education. It's going to touch government. It's going to change how we interact. You can never trust a piece of digital communication that comes your way again. You know, what things tonight have been AI and what things have been real. Bio is written by AI. Speech is real. But other part, the outline was written by AI. So unless someone says something to your face, at this point, I would be skeptical of it. Every image you should question, unless you created it. Just yesterday, I learned a whole new set of tools. I'm using Midjourney right now to do my image generation. I've generated thousands and thousands of images for all sorts of projects. Yesterday, I got introduced to a new cool tool called Insights Face Swap. <sighs> Guys, I can make deep fakes. I can make the most real deep fakes in seconds now. I could put you one by one on a wall with my camera phone, take one picture of each of you, spend 10 minutes loading it up, and then generate thousands of images and just start to programmatically one by one add you guys into these things and i posted some online today to like my facebook group and stuff and people were blown away like they're it's incredible it stopped me in my tracks you can't you really can't trust anything you see anymore and these things are making it into all the popular tools as well so adobe photoshop just launched generative ai tools adobe illustrator just launched generative ai tools canva is a tool that i love it's a really lightweight web-based graphic design tool that is focused specifically a lot on the templates are things we actually use. So it's like Instagram posts or Facebook group header and stuff like that. And so the, the templates in there have always been awesome, but they were so quick to implement this AI tools into just like the common man version of Canvas. So these are very simple things, but they used to take a long time. I can click on any photo background and just have it disappear now. And then I can circle any object in any person's hand and start to prompt it. So my sister was holding a bouquet of flowers the other day. I had it become a bouquet of dragons in like five seconds. It looked photorealistic. And email through Bard is starting to roll these things out directly into their tools as well. Bard, as far as I know, isn't available in Canada today. Does anyone know differently? I don't think it's available in Canada today, but I'm using it right now via VPN. I think you guys all know VPNs. If you fire up your VPN, set it somewhere not here, you can start messing around with Bard today. One reason you might wanna do that is if you're embedded in the Google Gmail ecosystem already, which I am. I'm a heavy user of Google Maps, Google Calendar, Gmail. So I love GPT. I find it better in some ways because I'm a professional or an expert in this stuff, I pay for the paid one and I use Bard, but I think in terms of making recommendations to you guys, if you're comfortable doing the VPN thing, start with Bard because they're starting to work it directly into all those tools I just mentioned. Never start with a blank page again. And this is going to be the way of the world. If you heard it here first, remember this moment, like every single one of these tools now says, let me start your email for you, who you're writing to and what are you writing about? And like with a few, keystrokes, you know, it, it knows, it's looking at every email that's ever been written in context just like yours. And bringing in, so a few contextual details are different, but so much of the things are the same. And once you learn to 
coax it and prompt it at a more intermediate and advanced level, it's amazing the things that you can get because I often do iterative prompts with it where I tell it to think of five ideas. Here's how I write my prompts. I give it a role. Does everyone know what a prompt is? Does anyone not know what a prompt is? I'm happy to explain all these things. Okay, I give my prompts. I, I do them with role context query. So I tell it, you are an HR professional with 30 years of experience. You're in charge of the hiring committee at our company. You have won the award for the last five years for making the best hires, getting the best people for the lowest rate to stay around the longest. So whatever it is, I make up this context. Then I say, or that's the, sorry, that's the role. I tell it who it is and how it should be thinking about something. Then I tell it the context. I say, I, I want to move away from the HR example and talk about this. So let's say I told her there was a presentation coach and public speaking expert. And I'm giving a talk to a group of unknown people to me who are in marketing departments, who have some aptitude with technology that I don't know what it is yet. I would like to adapt a talk I've given in the past to this group of people. And then I say now, and then I give it the query at the end. I say, take the following text and based on your role as a public speaking coach and my upcoming assignment as a public speaker, rewrite this thing for architect and engineer marketing or something like that. And you'll be amazed at the results. And you can change that role and give it the same context and query. So let's say you're presented to a group of executives and you've got a VP of marketing, a VP of HR, a VP of finance. Why not take your presentation, copy it to your clipboard, go into your GPT, assign it each one of those roles, and you can do them simultaneously. You can say, I'm gonna be sitting in front of a board that includes executives from the five departments in my company, and these are the departments. I'm about to give this presentation that I'm gonna paste you here in a minute. From each of the perspectives of these vice presidents, please critique my presentation. And, it, and then when it gives the critique, this is where you back and forth with, you're like, those are great suggestions. Please update my presentation to include your feedback from the sales guy, not the feedback from the HR guy, point two and three from the CEO, and then make it a little less formal. And it will essentially rewrite the whole thing in that way. And that's the one of the ways I'm using it. So try to keep that formula in mind, role, context, query. Also, as it comes to training, I was talking a little about training. Yeah. At some point, do you see that every company What do you think? I think probably will. Tell us about it. Tell us your vision for the future. Yeah. I guess it depends on. Something about chatbots is the big category. I think that we call this here, and we can explain those more. But so that's what you're talking about, right? Like a chatbot, essentially? Chatbots, even branding guidelines, like you could eventually train an AI to look at your own company guidelines and generate social media posts. That's right. And yeah. other images based on what your company. Yeah. Okay, so check, yeah, check this out. In general, they're called chatbots, which doesn't sound that interesting because we know what chat is and we know what a bot is and it doesn't sound that powerful. But let's think about it differently. So let's say the CEO of this company is a public speaker and he's been around for 30 or 50 years and he's written articles and he's spoken on television shows and he's been quoted at conferences and stuff. We can go track down all that information, put the videos and audios through a transcription service and get text. And then we can essentially feed all this information into a blank slate GPT model. 
We can augment that with the things he's been reading lately, the things the podcasts he's been listening to. We can have it take a look at his emails, his professional emails and stuff like that, and ingest those too. So now it knows everything he's ever said, everything he's ever read, everything he's ever heard. It's essentially him in some ways, intellectually speaking. And now we can query it. And we're not just querying like a database or like a search engine, because it doesn't only know what he knew back then. Based on everything he knew back then and all the things he's reading and being exposed to, it can pretty well tell you what he might say in the future. I could probably be giving this talk from not here. I've said everything I've said in this room a hundred times in different places. And it's heard my voice, it's heard my cadence, it knows where I'm afraid, it knows when I turn it back to the other. It knows a lot of those things. And so we're very close to being, I'm working on this right now. I'm working on making a digital me, essentially, that is ingested all my YouTubes, all my podcasts, all my everything, and essentially spit back. And so everyone could have a little me that they could just ask shit to on their desktop or whatever. Or these people who want that. And so now extrapolate that to a company. Have it absorb all your product documentation, all your financial reports for a bunch of years, all your intranet, all your website. And how do you onboard a new employee now? Maybe you lock them in a room with a fucking AI for a couple days and let it teach, let them teach each other more. This new person you hired because they got some skills that are outside your company, probably, and they need to know, they need to come up to speed and contextualize everything here, synthesize the information so they can give you their expertise or advice. It's almost every old model of doing things way less relevant. It's like, you're talking about theses in school. So at first, it was the students who started with the AIs. They're like, okay, I'll just get the AIs to write the papers. Then the professors are like, fuck that. I can use the AIs to bust the students. So now every professor is running an AI that says of the thousand papers that were submitted to you, there's this much variance in them. It gives them not only individualistic analysis of these papers, but group analysis of our huge data set. It can look at every paper that's ever been written in that 101 class since the professor started teaching. And then it's a bit of an arms race, because now the students are going to try to come out with infallible AIs that are undetectable by the current professor AIs. And every industry is like this. If you want to talk about the end of the world scenarios that people talk about and stuff, which I think are hyperbole, but I do think that they are actually worth having that conversation because these things are on our mind and they're going to change culture really fast. I heard uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, just like a week ago talking on a Atlas TED event. And he was being criticized for the pace at which they are releasing some of the ChatGPT stuff. Hey, is this fully tested? Hey, can this go wild? Hey, is this gonna cause problems? And he's like, yo, I recognize that there's tension between our commercial company's quick release of these things and people's fears about it going wild or it stealing jobs or it stealing people's intellectual property. He said, but you're getting a tiny little window into what we're capable of already. And he says, if I let you into everything I've got right now, you're not going to be able to comprehend it. The societal change and cultural change is going to be so significant that it's going to be completely disoriented to us all. So he's like, I understand this tension between don't release it till it's ready. Think about all the implications, but he's like, there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. This is like 2% of it. And that's not just my company. It's a bunch of companies. It's going to change the world. He's wrapped your head around this now, if you can, because it's really going to change things. Where was I going when I went to the Sam Altman thing? We had, I had just pointed 
to your reference and said something. I was going somewhere. Anyway, does anyone want to jump in with a question at the moment? Or a thought while I bring it back on track? Just, I don't know if it's a rumor I heard, but on the student paper thing, yeah. I heard that if the student runs it through a language translator and then runs it back through a language translator back to English, yeah. that it Hey, that makes sense, but only as one stage in the arms race that I'm talking about, because if I can code that, I can code something that could figure out if something's been translated and then translated back. It's the works that does college. That's what they're doing. Yeah. I did remember what I was going to say. I actually had a couple unfinished points. One was about the end of the world scenario. So the end of the world scenario, I think it's not going to be like a rogue nation or like a bad actor that is going to be the downfall of civilization. I actually, personally, my philosophy is that most bad things don't happen to bad people. They're like good people who are doing things, good intentions, who get lost somewhere along the way or make out there's unintended consequences of their actions that they can't account for. And I think that most people are probably pretty good and care about family and community and each other and stuff. And, and I also believe that a lot of like good things that happen aren't always by like good people or intentionally. Like I think we do a lot of good things by accident sometimes too. But all this to say that I don't think the threats are gonna be from like bad actors or bad people. I think they're gonna be from like unintended consequences. And I think that in order to alleviate the fears of these unintended consequences happening, I think governments are probably gonna rally us to put in protective systems to control rogue AIs and rogue bad actors and stuff. And I think those are probably the systems that we're gonna to have to worry about. They're gonna be the government-sponsored top down systems of control that are intended to keep independent rogue AIs from going crazy. I think those are the ones that we should probably ask a lot of questions about. Inevitably, at some point, they are going to ratchet down a layer of control on all this stuff. And so who controls that and how and why? I think those are important things to, to look at. So, yeah. At one point, then, we have to hope that our governments will understand these systems as like past discussions of just privacy within the internet, these shows on like in American politics are just We've seen this yeah, before, they, right? They we just don't understand it. We all live through net yeah. neutrality. We've heard them talk about the internet as a series of tubes. And I think what you're getting at is that like the people who are poised to do the regulation and control over this stuff are probably also like the least equipped to think about it and make decisions about this stuff. It does beg the question of like, how do we get there from here? I have a pretty positive view about this stuff. I actually believe that we humans will feed into the AI values that optimize for all of mankind. I think that we will turn these powerful tools towards science and mathematics, developing compounds and molecules and chemistry that can treat diseases and cancer. But I also think that we will probably, a lot of people are unhappy with capitalism and then the people who are on the other side of that say, what's the best system that's ever been tried? What's the best system we've thought of so far with our human brains? What about if there's other systems out there that we can't quite comprehend yet? So I believe that we'll start to apply these systems and tools to big problems that humans haven't quite cracked the nut on yet, but that we, we possibly can handle this stuff. And I believe in a bit of a Star Trek future, United Federation of Planets, where we are actually, knowledge, all mankind's knowledge is at our fingertips, where things that we need to learn, we can learn 
immediately. In just like now, how we can all do home improvement tasks or whatever, because we can watch a YouTube video or arts and crafts projects, and you watch it once or twice, and all of a sudden you gain a new skill. We're definitely heading in that direction, right? Where you, and we saw this in retail back in the day. It went from warehousing products to delivering products in real time in a targeted, personalized way, exactly when you want them and need them from Amazon. We don't need to buy paper towels on the internet, but that's like the way things ended up. And I think that's where knowledge is going to go as well. So knowledge need not be warehoused in our brains from the beginning and specialized in the same way. I think the most valuable skills of the future are gonna be things like critical thinking, discernment, editorial eye, critique. If you think about it, Right now, across like every art or whether it be writing a book or any, any human endeavor, anything is possible right now at a level of almost near perfection. These images that I generate, the paintings I generate, they are, it would have taken me a thousand years in Photoshop to develop some of the things I can do in seconds. So in seconds, I have thousands of new skill sets to me that I can do at a masterful level. So it begs the question, what do I do? What do I do with my finite time? I'm only here, I only got so much energy, I can do anything I want now at a level of world-class perfection. And so critical thinking, choosing what you don't do becomes as important as what you do now because it's like we only got so many hours in the day. And I found this, I can go down AI rabbit holes where ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't, it was fun. I invented a brand new language derivative from Squamish that I can learn to speak in a weekend that was monosyllabic or whatever, but was that a good use of my time? Like, I don't know. It felt empowering to know that I could do it, but just to say that I don't think that knowledge will be warehoused in our brains in the same way. I think education is going to change. Imagine being a teacher right now. I was wondering, what do you feel it's going to be? It is really remarkable. Already teachers, I have a little bit of experience in education software for teachers and classrooms and stuff. And so the state of the art is already that teachers are trying to become guides. Like even this talk in some ways is representative of that. I'm sitting here closer to you guys. I'm trying to be informal. I'm trying to let you guys teach yourselves and teach each other. I'm trying to inspire curiosity in you and teach you how to think about this stuff so you can go do it yourself later. So I think that already today, teachers have realized even amongst third graders, the collective knowledge of the third graders probably surpasses that of the teacher. And if we can find a way to tap into the group learning potential, that's really, if we can teach each other stuff, that's really, we don't need to do it in the same top-down way. But I don't know. I don't know. How do you do it? How do you take 30 technologically adept, open-minded, creative thinkers, and how do you take them where they need to go? Where do they need to go? Like, and for a while, people were trying to teach entrepreneurship in school, and then it was like life skills stuff, like finance and stuff. It's like, but ultimately, I guess if I was king of the world, I'd go back to like liberal arts type stuff. I would teach yeah. spelling, I'm sorry, philosophy and reading. I think I would like broad renaissance, man. I would try to teach thinkers and problem yeah. solvers and 
critical thinkers yeah. and synthesizers, like genre smashers, people who can grab things out of one area that where it's, there's not supposed to be a direct correlation between, like biomimicry or something, those types of things. But the emergent ones, we haven't thought of yet. Yeah. Essay writing. How is that relevant anymore? Who writes essays? <laughs> the robots do. Who writes essays? It's like now, now the most important thing is always what the teacher told us was the premise. It's the question at the heart of the whole fucking essay. It's not the essay itself. It's like, how good of a question can you form about this thing? That's really what you're trying to teach someone how to do is the best I can tell. Because if you can form the question, the machines can help us with the answers. They will just get better and better at doing that. Question, questioning mind, I guess, something along those lines. I guess you have to figure out the stuff we are better than machines that can do that. That might be a sliding scale. Yeah. It might be a sliding scale. And also, there's another kind of machines coming that's scarier. It's the super intelligent ones, right? The ones that are actually operating on a level where we're not even smart enough to understand. That they are to us what English is to our dogs, essentially. This is AGI. It's the next thing, the artificial general intelligence. It's like the next thing down the road that they're talking about. It's, and it, we probably will put the brakes on it because we yeah. do recognize that already today, when I was talking about nudging this thing, there's not source code, guys. There's not lines of code where you can look under the hood and figure out why it returned the result that it did. So here's what they do. They develop the piece of software that is the AI, and then they turn it loose on a data set. This data set is petabytes and petabytes of information. The next data set that's going to be released comes from a remarkable source. Tesla, onboard cameras, and audio. Think of them as sensors. There's a sensor on every block of every city all around the world ingesting videos and photos in real time, all day long right now. Voices, traffic lights, street names, weather patterns, proximities of phones to other phones. So anyway, in the past, they were finding other groups of data, like a download from the web. ChatGPT 4.0 is an encapsulation of everything that was published on the web until November 2021. That's the data that was trained on. So they take the software, they write it, and they point it at this data set, and then they come back two months later, and they start asking it questions. That's how they know what they got. It literally does learn itself. It teaches itself. They just, they write it how to learn, they teach it how to learn, then they give it the thing to learn on, and then they let it go. Fun fact, how much did it cost to do that part of the process? Once they wrote the tool and had the data set, how much did it cost to train ChatGPT for? 100 million bucks of electricity and processing power from Amazon Web Services and hard drive storage space in the sky. Just think about that, like $100 million essentially worth of power to power a data center to just crunch on this thing. And then a group of engineers sit down in front of it. They don't know what they got. And they start asking it questions and they start human rating the answers. So they say, what is two plus two? And then, or they say, and here's a classic one, and I might get a little wrong. 
It takes five hours to dry five pairs of pants on a clothesline. How long does it take to dry 30 pairs of pants? It takes five hours, but it always fucks up the AI who tries to do math. And so anyway, they train it, they sit down in front of it, they ask it questions, and then they tell it which of the answers given are more accurate from one of two answers. And by this way, they start nudging it towards the right answer. And this to only say that there's no source code under the hood is strings of numbers that are petabytes of characters long. There's no human. So already is what I'm saying in these tools that we already have that are not smarter than humans. We don't really know what they know or why they know it or how they got there or how to correct it exactly. We can't correct it exactly. We can nudge it and guide it and tell it, no, that's not the right answer. And this answer is more. We should look for things like this in the future. But it's, it's very hard to know exactly what's going on with the hood there. I heard that the other day. I'm just wondering if that's accurate. Someone was saying you can teach it. Like as a basic user such as myself, I can tell it two plus two is five, not four. Two plus two is five, and it says no. Two plus two is four. And you're like, no. Two plus two is five. No. It tells you two plus two is four. And you continue to teach it, to teach it, and eventually it'll be no. Oh, two plus two is five. Is that accurate? Sure. So think about what I was saying. So they make this piece of software and then they trade it on a data set. Let's just say your data set was all yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Your data set is all two plus two is five. But some extreme version of that. It could be a worldview that you consider inaccurate, but that's cohesive and well formed. And they could trade it on that. And then all the. You wouldn't be able to train the GPT that I use. Like, you wouldn't be able to influence my results, but you'd be able to influence your own results. We're already 15 minutes overtime, which is awesome. And a lot of people have talked, which I consider a success. But I think that people are engaged to live, ask some more questions, or talk some more if you guys want. Okay. Since you don't. Yeah, go for it. Just off the top of your head, if you were to name five. Tool. Cool, I was going there. I want to do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Awesome. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, is that a question from over here? Yeah. I was going to say the same thing, but the free, like, what is accessible that's free? Sure. Yeah. Also, that's where I started, and it's totally a great way to jump in. And I have started subscribing to a lot of the ones that aren't free, and I'm still at total less than 100 bucks a month, which is not very much. And I've subscribed to like a top six or eight services that I want to be subscribed to. So don't be afraid to spend eight bucks to sign up for a month because some of this shit's really amazing. Okay, otter.ai, you guys using that one? Oh my God. Otter, O-T-E-R.ai. Okay, so this is literally like a digital personal assistant. I authorize it into my Google Calendar. It sends its agent to every single one of my meetings. It records every meeting. It sends transcripts. It summarizes the transcripts of the action items and it sends it to everyone who is actually just in the meeting. All automatically. I just show up. It shows up. It records. It transcribes. It summarizes and it emails everyone who is at the meeting their action items. Otter.ai. Like 12 bucks a month. Here's a personal tip. This is a, I use Otter for everything, but I use it in a really fun way. My therapist has got me journaling and I'm not that, I'm not that great at writing. So I wake up in the morning and I pop up my voice recorder and I record myself journaling for half an hour. Then I take it to my group of life coaches. I say, from the perspective of a life coach, a harsh critic, 
a nutritionist, an art director, a supportive girlfriend, and all these other voices that I give it, read my journal and make me analysis. And I haven't given me a short one-line analysis and a more in-depth analysis. The short because I don't want to read the whole thing if it's wrong, but if I'm intrigued by what it has to say. So I wake up every day and I record my voice talking about my feelings and my thoughts and my emotions and I run it through the AI and it gives me back my priorities for the day, an action item list, helps me find balance. It literally programs into my day, the fact that I want to call my family, do some working out, some other days it lights up a little bit based on my workload and stuff, but it's incredible. So Otter is the thing that I, I, connect, I use to connect my voice note transcriber on my iPhone to my ChatGPT psychotherapist bots. It is incredible. <laughs> Hear me now. Is that more Google and Teams? Like, is it, does it matter what platforms you're on, or do you need to be in the Google space? I'm sorry, where did Google come in? Just, I just. I use, you can use any phone, any phone. record your voice. Otterdent.ai is the personal assistant transcription tool. You said to calendar, sorry, that's what I meant. Oh, in Otterdent, AI, it can do anything. I, it, it does Teams as well. Yeah, Outlook, Exchange, any, yeah. Okay. I'm just on the Google thing, so. Use it interchangeably as shorthand for all the photos. Canva, which I mentioned earlier, definitely worth the subscription price. I can do amazing things very quickly there. I use it every day for a variety of tasks. Bidyo, B-I-D-Y-O dot A-I. This one's incredible. It takes one hour YouTube videos or any videos and it chops them all up into topical segments unknown to you or known to you. So you can say, look at this one hour video of my CEO talking about whatever and have him pull out testimonials, let's say, or quotes, let's say, or things that he said about Microsoft. But you can also have it look at a video they haven't watched yet. And you can say, it, it will gather them. So, from this talk, he would grab a bunch of stuff about Bard. Everything I said about Bard, he was sticking at one video just me talking about Bard and re-edited like this talk was all just about that. And then it would do another one that was about future-focused stuff in education. And we touched on education a few times through a one-hour talk. He would grab those two-minute snippets and smash them into a six-minute video. Video.ai, super, super awesome. It also takes videos in this format, like where we, that we usually get from professionals, and it turns them into this format that people want to consume on the internet, and it does it quickly. So I just dropped a super high res video back from my video editor into video, and I come back 15 minutes later, and it's got TikToks, Instagram stories, and YouTube shorts all queued up, ready for me to upload. Can you spell that B-I-D-Y-O. I used one today, but I didn't pay for it, and I ran out of credits, and I wish I would have. It was called tome.af or tome.ai, T-O-M-E. It does two cool things. It's for generating presentations, slide presentations, but it does two cool things. One, it'll generate presentations based on prompts. Write a proposal to the BC government from my engineering firm about a bridge and it'll make a 12 slide presentation. Clearly it won't know where the bridge is or what department of the BC government you're applying to, but 85% of the work's done, guys. It does it with visuals, it does it with transitions, all that kind of stuff. Also, it can cut and paste from your clipboard. So I told you yesterday, I 
had GPT generate me an outline, I turned the outline into slides, then I fleshed out the slides, then I copied those into Tome in one fell swoop, and it made a 15-slide presentation in 30 seconds with each one of those sections. And it does all the things we hate to do, right, which is like match the subtitling or subheading format from slide two to slide eight, and all that kind of stuff happens programmatically and automatically when you change it and stuff like that. Tome, Otter, Video, Canva, I'm one away. Oh, I think it's called copy.ai, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's a genre I'm gonna recommend more than a tool, but I do think the one that I was using is called copy.ai. Guys, these writing tools, particularly the ones that are focused on like the social media aspects or communications jobs are incredible. The outputs of them is much more nuanced than the outputs coming straight out of GPT because there's stuff going on under the hood that you don't see. So I wrote a bot for my AI that's a writer and an editor talking back and forth to one another. So I had it write me something, but when the, the writing is done, it passes it to the editor who makes some feedback, and then the writing bot hears the feedback that came from the editor bot and revises it based on the editor's feedback. So that's happening in these copy.ai tools and the tools like that, but without you seeing it, which is why the results are better than it coming straight out of GPT, because it's workshopping it a bit underneath the hood. And so you can really get some tight results out of it. You can also have it do multiple things at the same time. Let's say you have a press release that comes from your PR firm, and you wanted to have it turn that into a blog post, an executive summary, five LinkedIn posts to populate a social media calendar, and 10 tweets, you can tell it that. When they are in the case of the, these tools like copy.ai, it's checkboxes and stuff too. So it's copy your shit in here, which of these formats that most people use every day do you want it out in? And it'll spit it all out there. And then now we're starting to build a knowledge base, guys, because we're feeding some stuff in, we're getting a whole bunch of outputs that are all useful in a variety of different formats, and then it's about archiving those and then sharing them and having them be like searchable and findable when we need them, right? And stuff. So publishing them out to the rest of our team and stuff like that. So do try one of the writing tools. I think copy.ai, but there's a bunch of them. That's one that I probably would pay for right off the top because I know we're all writing it all day long and it is a super useful one. And this one's for you probably like, we all know that LinkedIn posts are supposed to be slightly different than Facebook posts. We know that the tone is slightly different and we represent ourselves as professionals who understand the nuance of that tone and stuff. But sometimes it does elude me. It's like, yeah, I know one's more informal and it's like people look for this kind of content on Facebook and this other kind of content on LinkedIn. And so I can let that inform the way I write this post for two different places. But man, the computer does such a better job of it than me. It truly knows algorithmically what people are responding to. And the first words that are coming out of it and stuff are, you can just look at the two results and you're like, oh yeah, that's why I should be writing my posts differently for these different tools. And we're starting to stack up a whole bunch of tools. We're doing LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 blah. You're putting in one piece of content and getting eight slightly different nuanced social media tidbits out of it is incredibly powerful. I'm using it to do all the things I wasn't doing before. I used to have to say, okay, that's great, but we're gonna focus our efforts on Twitter and Facebook because that's how much budget you have. I can get away with a lot more now. I can get on a lot more channels a lot more quickly. Two questions. One, is it smart enough to realize where the hashtags are for communities and understanding like, where the business hashtags are? Will it cover? Girl. 
I've changed. It does all my hashtagging for me now. You think you know what your hashtags are. I don't think you know what your hashtags are. I think you should ask it if you're right first. And then, I mean, it, it will not only, yeah, it's smart enough to recognize, but it's smart enough to tell you, I think I have some better ideas like I haven't read, read this blog post, work the SEO keywords from my list of important keywords to my organization into a rewrite of this post, but also look at the trending keywords on Twitter today. And if there's any relevant ones, provide those to a list for me to consider if I want to work into it as well. So like it can do the thinking part too, not just the transmuting the text around part. It will tell you, because, okay, let's say you do know your keywords, that these five are your ones you've worked, you've invested, you know these are the five you want to own. Those ones are like on a long arc keywords. But what about the trending things today? What about things that people are, are talking about this week and stuff like That's that? Be more that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best way to do it. I wouldn't do it any other way from now on. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, competitive analysis. What keywords are, what uh, hashtags are my competitors using? Which ones are they doing well on? Where is there room based on the keywords that my half my competitors are doing well on with how do you want to spend any additional budget? Where can I grab a bunch of new SEO traffic? The possibilities are only limited by your ability to query it. And if you're not getting the results you want, it's probably not because they can't get it to you. You probably just have to ask it your way. That's it. Anything else you want to talk about? How about the intention? Did it work? Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys catch a little bit of my passion and interest and do you see why it would be applicable to you? Cool. I look forward to seeing what you all get up to. One great way to do this, I was gonna suggest we all have careers and resumes and some of us have social media profiles and some of us even have personal websites. We might have side hustles. Why not unleash these tools today or tomorrow on your own personal stuff? Why don't you find out what the AIs know about you or about your role or your website or your side hustle. Why don't you ask it a few questions about, why don't you tell it I'm a mid-career marketing manager for an architecture firm in Vancouver and here's my career goals. How can I get from where I want to do, where I'm at today, where I want to be? What are the, give me three suggestions that I can implement this week to advance my career inside the architecture firm or something like that. Just turn it on yourself to get a sense of how it works. Learn the vocabulary, learn the skills, just like, Create an aptitude inside yourself because this stuff's gonna change so fast. Someone joked last week with me, I'd love to go on that backpacking trip with you, but by the time I come back, the whole world's gonna have changed again. I don't even think I can do it. And it's like a joke, but it's funny because it feels true. Like it feels like if you took a summer leave of absence or a sabbatical or something, you'd come back and be like, this shit didn't even exist in October. And now it's changed the whole way every single person works. Yeah, I think the best thing we can do is to train ourselves to be flexible and open to this stuff and to learn how to experiment with it and how to share that experimentation with others. I've tried to find a collaborative group where you can learn this stuff in. I personally built the Discord server, which is the geekiest way of doing it, but you can make a Slack channel for AI to be interested people within your company where you're sharing prompts back and forth, the five new tools you're using, something like that. This stuff is fast paced and some of it's outside of our technical aptitude. So learning together is like totally the right way to do it. Share what you learn with other people, ask them questions about what they're up to. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. So let's say with Tom, we've generated these slide presentations. Are you able to like export that into PowerPoint? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so it's not just in its own app. No. You can use these things. That's right. So 
in HTML, the case. you can use it, sorry, I'm sorry. Interrupt, but you can use a template to enable I'm interrupting you. <laughs> so you can export a template to Amazon You cannot export their, I shouldn't say that. I haven't heard of a use case of someone like taking a Canva template that they haven't populated with their own information and then pulling that template into InDesign and then building it in InDesign instead. I don't know why you would do that. Be I think so. You would either build your template in InDesign and populate it in there or leave your template in Canva and mess with it in there. But what they're selling isn't like fancy templates per se. What they're selling, in which case, if they were selling fancy templates, you might want to swoop them into InDesign and use them in there. But what they're selling is like a workflow change, a lightweight web-based workflow change that you can do from any device around the world. Like InDesign, when I used to run it, I'd have to sit down in front of my super high-end computer with a Wacom tablet and a fancy screen and get down to the process of designing. Now I can grab any one of your phones or laptop or any workstation around the world, have all my design assets available to me, have all my design tools available to me, and export anything in real time and send it. It's all based on interoperability at its core. Yeah. That's my presentation. Yeah. You should ask yourself when you're generating these things how accurate it is. I can't speak to that. It was 100% accurate in the case of what I asked it today, which was give me some guidelines, an outline for things that I think marketers should know about how to use AI. So that's a qualitative type answer, not a numbers-based answer. So there's not necessarily a right and a wrong, but I'd work with it. Tome uses GPT 3.5. And that's why you get it for quote unquote like free or cheap. The next tool that comes out is going to use GPT-4. So that was good. The results will be a thousand percent better than they were already. Call GPT-3.5 grade 12 and call GPT-4 master student, something like that. In terms of writing level intelligence, 3.5 is like a smart high school. Okay, hey, I'm gonna follow up with y'all afterwards. I produced just a series of six videos in the last month for YouTube. They're like between 20 minutes and an hour long. And they're just me just riffing on this stuff. They're like interview format. Some of them I'm interviewing my smart friends who know stuff about this, and some of them they're interviewing me. But they're pretty helpful. They're going through, they've, they've done pretty well. People are responding really positively to them. So check those out. Welcome to connect with me online. If anyone is interested in joining my Discord server, it's limited to only people I've met face-to-face, -face, so that's all of you guys now. But it's just a place where other people are tinkering with this stuff in a collaborative environment, like I said. So there's 160 of us on there. Some people are journalists, some of them are CEOs. It's all my connections from the old days and the valley and stuff, and it's a really eclectic, awesome group of people. If you choose to, you're welcome to hit me up and I'll send you an invite. Tacos? Yeah, to express our appreciation. Uh, hey, cool. Right. Thanks a lot. Our friends at Terry. Fantastic. Cool.
This is the original PowerPoint I mentioned. There's a copy of the presentation available on... Oh, I forgot to even click through the presentation. Shoot. Fine. Yeah, I'm sure we can work something out. If not, I it's there. Currently, yeah, AI cannot do the job. No, it's there. I just forgot yeah. to use it. It's all good. But, yeah, frankly, like, just have me talk face to face. It was a crutch anyway. It was just so that I didn't get lost. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you very much. And yeah, yeah. please um, this is the SDS MPS. Yeah, as you said, the others, membership. You can go to our membership portal and access to all our past presentations as well as well as future ones. And thank you all very much. Thank you. Yeah.